Well, good morning. Uh, this morning we're going to finish up three-week series um, looking at life, liberty, and the pursuit of godliness. Um, this week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew chapter 25, if you want to go there in your Bibles. Um, boy, those lights got brighter or something. Um, well, let's see. So that, that's where we're going to be this morning. Also have a special guest this morning. Emma Heron is here with us. Um, Emma recently did a trip to Haiti, and she's going to share a little bit about uh, what that looked like and actually how it, how it really mirrors what this passage is talking about. Um, so the, what we've been doing as we've gone through this is uh, we looked at John chapter 3 and Jesus' explanation of what life is. We looked at John chapter 8 and Jesus' explanation of what freedom or liberty is. And then this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25 and we're going to see that uh, Jesus has an idea of what ultimate happiness is and it's found in pursuing uh, godliness, a lifestyle that looks like His. Um, now, when John Locke wrote that phrase, the, the pursuit of happiness, he very much wrote it. John Locke, an Enlightenment philosopher that Thomas Jefferson borrowed that phrase from and put it in our Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. He very much understood happiness not to be some temporary, momentary thing, but something that was lasting. And in an essay, he calls an essay on concerning human understanding, John Locke wrote this in 1894. Uh, that can't be the right date. It must be uh, 1694, pardon the uh, typo there. Um, but uh, the necessity of pursuing happiness is the foundation of liberty. The, the necessity of pursuing happiness is the foundation of liberty. As therefore the highest perfection of intellectual nature lies in the careful and constant pursuit of true and solid happiness, and in so care for ourselves. We, that we mistake not imaginary for real happiness. It is the necessity for the foundation of our liberty. And there's a phrase there that he says that we mistake not imaginary for real happiness. That we don't fall prey to uh, some momentary thing, but instead that we would be seeking something that is far more lasting for our source of happiness. Um, John Locke was, was a Christian, and if you go through his writings some more, you find that he very much understood that the ultimate happiness was found in following God and living like Jesus Christ. And so, what is this pursuit of happiness that, that, that he's talking about? What is it to have lasting, not imaginary happiness? And what we can find ourselves is we can, we can chase after God and we can pursue Him, or we can chase an idol. Um, we can take something and put it in God's place and try and find meaning and worth and happiness and security and all those different things. Either we can find those in Jesus Christ or we can uh, use something else to, to, to pursue that. Um, uh, Paul Broch is a, is a worship leader, and he says, Idols are all around us. Can you spot them? Uh, they come in different forms, material forms, financial security, sensual pleasures. The most powerful idols are ones we cannot even see, things like reputation, power, and control. But we're surrounded by these idols. And oftentimes when we hear the word idol, we think of like some ancient person, you know, and he's got uh, a, uh, a wooden or metal carved thing that he's, he's got and he's, he's worshiping it. Uh, our idols are not like that. They're, they're, they're far more dangerous because they blend into our culture. They don't stand out quite like a wooden statue would. And so they're far more dangerous because they're more subtle. And they find ways to creep into our lives. And, and that's why you ask that question, idols are all around us, can you spot them? Can you spot the idols within your own life, the things that you, that you put in place of God, the things that you pursue over Him? 
And so we can find ourselves in a position where uh, we go for the real happiness, the, the real joy that comes through pursuing Jesus Christ, or we can pursue something else and go for that imaginary happiness. But what would it look like for us to pursue God in His ways? What would it look like for you and me to pursue godliness? And I think that's what Jesus explains in this passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, we'll start in verse 31. And what we see in verses 31 through 33 is that the pursuit of godliness, it begins with a recognition that God has authority over our lives, His power is immense, and His kingdom is otherworldly. We must start by surrendering the false idea that we're independent without Him, that I'm sufficient in and of myself, and then know Him for the Almighty God that He is, and gratefully take our place in His kingdom. So here it is, verse 31. Jesus says, But when the Son of Man, a messianic title that He's referring to Himself, He's saying, Me, the Messiah, when I come in my glory, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And so we see here that Jesus holds a place of power and authority that nobody else holds. He says, when I return in my glory at Christ's second coming, when He returns uh, with all of His angels, sit on a glorious throne, and He's going to gather all people groups before Him, and He's going to separate the, the individual people within those people groups, and, in, and the people that are sheep, those that have followed Him, and that were pliable, and maybe not the smartest, but they were pliable, and they were willing to follow Him, and He's going to put them in His right. And the goats, the ones that, if you've ever been around a goat, they, they're not good at, at following so much. Um, they have very stiff necks, um, and, and they're very stubborn. And, and so the goats, the ones that would not follow, the ones that, that simply would not go along with uh, the leadership, the authority that God has, He's going to put them on His left. The right a place of honor, the left a place, as we're going to see here in a moment, uh, something else. But there has to be this point in our lives where we recognize who God is, who Jesus Christ is. That, that God is, he's, he's, he's powerful and He holds a position of authority that no one else holds. I don't have the ability to separate sheep from goats. I don't even want to try. I, I do not have the ability to judge and say, I'm going to heaven and you're not. Jesus holds that position. He holds that authority. No one else does. And so when he returns, he's going to sit on this glorious throne. And we see that his, his kingdom is otherworldly. Jesus said this to Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this realm. It's not of this world. There's something eternal that I'm, that I, that I'm ruling over. And earthly kingdoms at one point will all bow before Jesus Christ. And he's going to separate those who were pliable and willing to follow him and those who were stubborn and, and fully rejected him. But we have to have this... This moment where we go, this is who God is, and I'm not Him. I, I don't have authority. I don't have, I don't have the ability to stand on my own. I have to surrender that idea that I'm independent without God. I have to recognize Him for the mighty God that He is. And the, the awesome thing is, is that He offers each and every one of us a place in His kingdom. And we can gratefully take that place. We can gratefully step into his kingdom and enjoy relationship with the king of the universe and find ourselves living in a totally different way. What is that different way? Verse 34 we, through 40, we see that the pursuit of godliness seeks a greater reward than this world has to offer that results in willingness to use earthly treasure for the benefit of others just as Jesus used heavenly treasure for the benefit of all of us. 
as we worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done, we will undoubtedly long to emulate his character. We'll want to be like him. And the amazing thing is that Christ has made provision for this longing by promising his life, his love, and power to strengthen his lifestyle in us. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, the followers, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Here is the greater reward. This is something that the earth cannot, that worldly kingdoms, that, that this life cannot offer you. That momentary pleasure cannot offer you. It cannot offer you an eternal reward. A reward that God has stored up for believers in Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world. That we would inherit a kingdom, uh, an eternal kingdom. That we would be part of something that is going to last forever and ever. This is the greater reward that God has for us. And seeking this reward, having this reward being our motivation, changes the way that we live. Verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it for me. And so what we see is that when our motivation is temporary, when our motivation is, is what we can get in a certain circumstance, momentary happiness, false happiness, uh, we don't live to the fullest of our potential. But when our motivation is an eternal kingdom, when our motivation is the reward that, that God has laid up for us in heaven, when we no longer have simply a temporal perspective, but an eternal perspective, it causes us to live differently because our motivation is different. And ultimately what we see is the most rewarding thing here on earth is the most rewarding thing in heaven. The most rewarding life on earth is not one where we seek our own pleasures. It's not one, it's not one where we try to get what we can get out of each and every relationship, out of each and every interaction. But the most rewarding thing here and now is to love and serve the way that Christ has loved and served us. And when we, when we seek that reward, we actually find that circumstances no longer dictate whether we're content or not. Circumstances no longer dictate whether we're happy or not. But our happiness and our joy is found in seeking God and His kingdom. So this greater reward that we're seeking, the motivation changes the way that we live, and we find ourselves willing to use the earthly treasure that we have for the benefit of others. We look at Christ's example. Here's God, eternal, uh, and, and he's created everything, and he has a rebellious group of people that have gone against him. And instead of, instead of seeking a way to, to push them away further, he finds a way to bring them close. He, he sets aside his, his throne. He sets aside his crown, and he enters, he enters time, and he becomes a human, and he, and he loves, and he serves, and ultimately gives his life. He ultimately gives the, the greatest earthly thing that we could treasure, our own lives. He gives his life in order that we might be blessed. And so that's the picture, the, the footsteps that Christ has called us to walk in. That, that our motivation would be otherworldly. That our motivation wouldn't be contentment and happiness as the world would define it right here and now. But finding joy in him. I mean, when Christ was in the garden, he, 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 was, he was in great agony. The Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he went to the cross. He was in great agony. You look at that agony. You and I, if we were there, we'd look at that agony and we'd say, how can we get out of it? 
Christ even said that. Lord, if you'll take this cup, please do. But, but your will be done, not mine. Because I understand that your will is the greatest good. So as our motivation changes and we're seeking this greater reward, uh, it results in a willingness to use earthly treasure for the benefit of others just as, as Jesus used heavenly treasure for the benefit of us. And here's the amazing thing is you get to know who Jesus is more and more. As you understand his character, as you understand the gospel and the goodness of what he's done, uh, we will undoubtedly long to emulate his character. We'll want to look like him. If you're following Jesus, if you're truly one of his disciples, you look at his life in the pages of the gospel and you look at his character and the way that he approached things and you go, I want to live that way. And God has offered us, he's made provision for that. And, and so what happens is as we worship God, the way that we live is changed. One commentator says, the essence of worship is not natural but supernatural. Worship is not an external activity, but an internal activity. Worship is an organic attitude long before it becomes an expressive action. It is not a practiced art, but a prayed attitude. Worship is, an act, is not an action formed, but an attitude formed. And so his point is that our thoughts matter. Where our mind dwells matters. The focus of, of our time and our energy and our, our resources, they, they matter. Because if we're going to, we can worship with all of those, we do worship with all of those things. We worship with our time and we worship with our money and we, we worship with our talents. And we, we, the question is, what are we worshiping? And so our minds and our thoughts matter. Where, where, who am I truly devoted to? Now, worship of God, it could be expressed in a boisterous song. We could sing loudly to him, but it could also be expressed in a quiet prayer. It could be expressed in sacrificial tithing or thankfulness for a gift received. It could be expressed in serving the poor or saving for the future. It could be expressed in reverent stillness or joyful dancing and hands held high or head bowed low and boasting of Jesus' greatness or, or owning our own shortcomings. It could be expressed in many different ways. But ultimately it starts with our mind. It starts with our heart. It starts with an inward action. Jesus described this in John 24 as that we would worship with, in spirit and in truth. Uh, and what does that mean? And to worship in spirit and truth, it means, it means that we would have interaction with the Spirit of God. Uh, my wife and I were reading through Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 11, uh, the new covenant is promised. And he talks about how he's going to take out a heart of flesh or a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And he's gonna, the Spirit of God is going to dwell on his people group in the new covenant, the, the time that we live in. And so we can, we can interact with God through the Holy Spirit. He, he indwells each Christian and he's going to guide our minds and our hearts and our actions. And so to worship in spirit and in truth is that the Spirit of God is going to guide us in truth. He's going to give us understanding of spiritual matters. He's going he's to do things that we cannot do on our own and he's going to lead us to live in a different way. And so as we worship God and as we interact with him through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we live differently. We find ourselves willing to take the things that God has given us and say, I don't really need this as much as they do. Allow me to use them. 
I don't, I don't have to use my time for me, but instead I can, I can use it to bless my children or I can use it to bless my wife or a neighbor or a coworker. I don't, I don't have to use my money for me, but instead I can recognize that God's entrusted it to me and I can, I can use it to feed the poor and I can use it to, to bless others around me. I can take the talents that God has given me and I can, instead of seeking to glorify myself through them, I can seek to glorify God through them and direct other people to God through the talents and abilities that he's given me. So to say it in another way, uh, an inward attitude of worship is formed through relationship with the Spirit of God as He guides us in truth in all spiritual matters. And one of the things, don't be, don't, don't be fooled that parts of your life are sacred and parts of your life are secular. Parts of your life are, are, are worshipful. Sunday morning, you know, this is worship. But tomorrow when I head off to work, that's different. It's not. Everything that you do today from brushing your teeth uh, this morning to when you lay your head down on your pillow at night is a form of spiritual worship. You may say, how do I brush my teeth and worship God? Ah, you, you're acknowledging Him in everything you do. You acknowledge Him from the beginning of your day to the end of your day and you interact with the Spirit of God from the beginning of your day to the end of your day and as you do that, He guides us. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 24, or in John chapter 14. John chapter 24 doesn't exist. Don't try and find that. But John 14 does. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him, our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear are not mine, but the father's who sent me. He's saying this is, this is direct from God. Here, here's the truth. If you love me, you'll keep my word. If you don't love me, you won't. If you love me, the Father and I will make our home with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So to worship in spirit and truth is to recognize that as a Christian, the Spirit of God indwells us. That Jesus and the Father have made their, their home in us through the Holy Spirit. And we have the ability to interact with Him from the moment you wake up to the moment that you go to sleep. I don't know about while you're sleeping. I, I'm, not, I'm not versed in that. But I can tell you that from the moment that you wake up to the moment that you go to sleep, you can interact with God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so with these verses that Jesus, he, He's pointing out that worship will lead, will lead us to take to take care of others, including the least of these. Right? He says, if, as much as you've done these for my brethren, including the least of these, you've done it for me. Now, there are a lot of ways that this can take place in our lives. There's a change jar in the back. You can fill that, and we can take care of some of the people that, don't go, with, that go without lunches at Jacksonville Elementary. Um, you could reach out to our community, and, and there's, there's food pantries, and there's places where clothing and things like that are going out to the least of these. It could be a matter of just looking around your neighborhood and paying attention to what's going on around you. It could also be a mission trip, which is what Emma did. Um, and so, Emma, right now, why don't you come up, and uh, she's going to share with us a little bit about what went on on her trip to Haiti. And uh, let's see, this is Emma Heron. And now, Emma, well, she went through youth group uh, the, while I was youth pastor there, so I got to know Emma pretty well. She's not that rambunctious. Um, but... Uh, Tell us, what, what year of college are you going into? Um, I'm going to be a junior this year, and I'm going to William Jessup University over in Rockland, California, just over the hill. 
And what are you studying? I'm studying biology. Biology, okay. <laughs> yeah. So then tell us about how studying biology leads you to a mission trip in Haiti. Um, so our mission trip in Haiti was we were taking courses over there while we were doing our missions, and they were all um, biology-focused. So I took an internship course, which was all about malnutrition in Haiti, which is a huge issue going on over there. And then I also took an ecological research course. So, I mean, it was part of my credits for my studies, but while we were over there, we were serving the community with um, the knowledge that we have. Yeah, and so what different ways did you serve the community? Um, we performed ecological research, which in the future is gonna be a benefit for the Haitian people. Um, their coral reefs and ocean health over there is in decline which is not a good thing for them because their economy is almost solely based around um, fishing. their fishing, fisheries catch. Um, so part of what we were doing, we were performing research in the fisheries, like in the towns, and then also um, in the waters. So monitoring the coral reefs and monitoring their health. So we were gathering information that will hopefully in the future, help the Haitians learn how to better manage their environment. And then we also worked in schools. We helped, um, this was one of my favorite parts, we helped the kids get hands-on science learning, which they don't normally have. So we brought in microscopes, and they had never looked through a microscope. And so when they were, I mean, it was just amazing, their reactions just to see like a little amoeba under the microscope <laughs> was like the best day of their lives. Um, so we did hands-on science learning with them, and we also were able to do a lot of donations for their schools that will help their kids continue learning about science in a hands-on manner. And then we did um, work in a malnutrition clinic. So we did medical, medical research and then also like serving their doctors and nurses in whatever way possible, handing out care packages for families in need, and yeah, just loving on the people, serving the people. So when I sat down with Emma, uh, uh, whatever day that was, Wednesday for lunch, I had her share this with me. And the whole time I'm thinking of the passage that we're talking about. I'm going, here is a very practical example of what it looks like to care for people, of what it looks like to take what you have. This trip wasn't cheap, was it? No. <laughs> no. To take what you have and use it to bless somebody else. Um, and... And, and you think when they're helping fishermen, what, what is that? Well, I see that as, as one of the most strategic things that they were doing for the, for the Haitian people, um, teaching them to care for the coral reefs. And, and you said some of the fish, you know, these guys are going yeah. out catching fish, and, and fish is, is what they live on. And, he's, and the way that they're fishing, they're not allowing the fish to grow, so they're catching itty-bitty little fish, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so they're talking to them about, well, you can't catch during... Well, during the hatch or during breeding season. You have to, you have to wait. And so they're, they're teaching them about how do you best... Fish. How do you best? What? How do you best steward the environment that God has given you? How do you make? The, how do you best use what God has around you? This is a very Christian view and understanding of environment, by the way. That we would take the environment around us and that we would use it in a way that respects it, that honors it, but also allows it to grow, right? And so this is a very Christian understanding of how to care for our environment. And I think it's one of the neat things that you guys did down there yeah. and hopefully grows beyond just Haiti is that we would understand that, that, that this, this world that we have is a blessing, that we should use it, but we should also care for it. We should use it wisely, right? Yeah. Um, 
And, and then, you know, you're going into clinics and you're helping kids that are mal malnourished. I mean, mm -hmm. there it is, feeding the poor, taking care of those who are unable to care for themselves. Yeah. Um, and it goes beyond just the moment, but also the research that, that they're doing. You said that one of your projects when you return, you just spoke to your professor and he mm -hmm. said, I haven't touched the research yet, and it's going to be your job to kind of collect yeah. that data. Um, I've been working for this professor through the last year, and the opportunity to go to Haiti kind of came up. But I get the, I have the like honor of being able to continue working with him this semester and the coming semesters, organizing the data that we collected, so that um, in the future when the teams go out, it will be very organized and they'll know what they're looking at and they're, they'll know where they're going back to, what they've seen, what we've seen in the past, and then when they collect more information, they'll be able to compare it. So they'll be able to see, okay, is the reef health in decline even more than it was a couple years ago or is it getting better like is what like what we're doing are we having an impact or are there changes that we need to make so i'm kind of going to be able to have the opportunity to continue the research with him so in the in the moment that you were there living out this passage it looked like interacting with the students it looked mm -hmm. like uh, caring for those who were sick and malnourished um, but then there's a long-term aspect to this as well, where you're caring for not just then and now, but what's the long-term solution. Um, and that was one of the things that excited me about the way that you talked about your professor, is he's not looking at just how do we help, and how do we help, and how do we help, but how do we, how do we actually help um, this in the long term? And I thought that was a really beautiful thing. Um, Emma could share about this more, and in fact, if you want to know more, I would encourage you to ask her more. Um, she has a, a blog, and some of that is a, a, a vlog, video blog, blog. Yeah. Um, and the videos are really good, and you get to kind of see what does Haiti look like, and who are these people that she's interacting with, um, and if you want to know more about that, um, she can give you that link, um, and yeah. we can also get that posted on Facebook, and uh, maybe we'll send it out in the prayer chain as well, for those of you that are interested. And um, I'll be over in the Cafe Connections after church, so. Yeah. So Come if you want to talk about that, please do. Let me pray with you, Emma, and then uh, we'll continue here in this passage. Heavenly Father, uh, I do thank you for the opportunity that you gave Emma to take what she has, that you have blessed her with, uh, both time, talent, um, and money, and to use that in order to, uh, to bless the people of Haiti. I thank you for this university and how it's teaching students uh, to take very practical actions to bless others. Uh, and I do pray for what's going on there in Haiti, that uh, as we sit here right now and probably all have full bellies, there is somebody, uh, many, many young people in Haiti that do not. Um, and so we, we, we want to pray for them, that the solution does come. Uh, we do care about here and now, Lord, and we recognize that the greatest reward for us here and now is to take what you've given us and use it to bless others as you have blessed us. And so I uh, thank you for Emma, and uh, do pray that you continue to grow her up in the knowledge of who you are and what it looks like to live in likeness with your character. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll snag that from you. Thanks, Emma. All right, I told her that uh, I would have her come up at that point because um, having her follow Jesus' discussion on hell didn't seem like the nicest thing to do to her. Um, so verses 41 through 46, we're going to see something else. Um, we see that the pursuit of godliness recognizes that self-centered, ungodly behavior harms others and ultimately leads to a life apart from God. It's important to note as we go through this that Jesus isn't teaching works-based salvation. He isn't saying if you do these things, you're saved. If you don't, you're not. Matthew 25 has nothing to do with the root of salvation, but has everything to do with the fruit of salvation. 
Verse 41, then he also will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not extend care to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it for me. Uh, to these, these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. So there's two things you just kind of got to grab hold of here, and they're, they're not easy. Um, and as I've gone through these three different passages, Jesus shoots straight in all three of them. He deals with things that maybe we would rather not deal with. But in verse 41 and 46, he, he taught on the reality of heaven and hell. Jesus taught on the reality of eternal time with God and eternal time apart from him. And what we have to do is, is his understanding of these things should be our understanding of these things. He's God. He, he probably knows a little bit more than we do. And, and so there's a reality here that he says, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, this place where, 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 where there's, there's anguish, which has been prepared for the devil, the reality of the devil and, and, and demons, fallen angels. Verse 46, they will go away into eternal punishment. Punishment is consequences for actions that have been taken. Really, it's punishment for a decision that's been made. And the righteous into eternal life. The goats, one direction, the sheep, another. Those who were pliable with him and those who were uh, stiff-necked will be without him. C.S. Lewis says that the, the door to hell is locked from the inside. Chip Ingram, um, he, he says that there's nobody there who didn't choose to be there. Ultimately, what, what happens is, is the direction and the path that a person takes in life is the, here on earth is the direction and path that God grants them in eternity. So if we choose separation from Him and we go apart from Him here on earth, when eternity rolls around, He will allow us to continue that path. Um, the difference is, is there'll be no distractions. There'll be no false idea of what happiness is. No mirrors, no smoke. Just the realization that God is apart from me because I chose to be that way. And then the eternal, uh, the righteous in eternal life is a place with God and this, this kingdom that he said he stored up for us. And, and so uh, he teaches on the reality of it. C.S. Lewis also says, when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised on two fronts. One will be surprised who is there that we knew for sure would, be, would not be. Second, we will be surprised who is not there that we knew for sure would be. These things are beyond our comprehension. And so then the question becomes, what about me? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? And it's the, the answer, Brian Lort says, the, it's one word, fruit. A changed and changing lifestyle that is not a byproduct of the normal maturation process of adulthood, but a change and changing lifestyle that is in direct correlation to the presence, power, and activity of the Spirit of God living inside me. Every follower of Jesus should be able to look in the rearview mirror of their life and conclude two things. One, I'm not all the way where I should be, and I'm not where I once was. He is changing me. 
So how do I know that I'm saved? One, I trust the word of God and that I have, that I have responded to the gospel. I've responded to Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And through that, he offers me new life. I trust him. But I also can go a step beyond that and say, this is who I was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five, ten, fifteen years ago. That's who I was. And here's where he's taken me. I recognize that I am maturing not simply because I'm maturing like the rest of the 36-year-olds in the world, but because I look different because of the power, presence, and activity of the Spirit of God. I'm maturing as an adult, and what, what's happened to people around me is similar, but I'm maturing differently because the Spirit of God is working on me and conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ, and I know that change. I've experienced that change. And so the great question at hand is, who or what are you worshiping? You can place an innumerable amount of people or things ahead of Jesus, but you'll never experience lasting happiness if you do so. If you put things in front of Jesus, you will also find yourself stressing your relationships and yourself greatly. The marriages that I have seen fall apart between two Christians are marriages where one of the people decides that the momentary happiness that they desire is not being granted them from their spouse, and so they're going to go find it somewhere else. I'm not receiving what I need from this person, and because I, and I'm also, I haven't made a choice to receive it from the Lord. And so I'm putting pressure on this person to perform in a way that I need them to perform. And because they're not, and I'm not receiving what I need in this marriage relationship, I'm going to go somewhere else and find it. If you put something like that, you put your spouse in the place where God belongs, they'll never live up to it. They will fall short. And you'll try and find it somewhere else. The marriages between two believers that I have seen fall apart, that's what happens. Somebody decides that their momentary temporal happiness, the false image, is more important than seeking the kingdom of God and blessing and loving those around them regardless of how they're being treated. Same thing happens in parent-child relationships. A parent hurts a child early on. They do something that, to damage them. Maybe, maybe they got hurt. Maybe they lost their spouse. And in response to losing their spouse, they, uh, they turn to drugs or alcohol. And as they turn to drugs or alcohol uh, to find uh, happiness or, or comfort, uh, they end up harming their children. I've seen that many times as well. Somebody goes through something and they lose, they lose something. They lose their job. They lose a spouse. They lose something. And because their circumstances hurt they try and find happiness in some temporal thing, drugs, alcohol. Uh, maybe, maybe they dive into their work so deep that they don't pay attention to the people in their lives anymore. But they make something an idol, and instead of chasing after God and being filled by Him so that they can bless those around Him, they chase after happiness in something else. And then they end up not being the parents of their children anymore. Or they're there, but there's such a rift that exists between them that forgiveness never takes place. 
And they've made their temporal circumstances God. And because their temporal circumstances aren't good... By the way, if you, most of the people in this room have lived long enough to know that at some point your temporal circumstances are not fun. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and then the question is, how do you respond? Do you go and try and find happiness in something that fulfills you but causes you to harm others? Or do you go to Jesus Christ and find fulfillment in Him and allow His love then to pass out through those around you so that instead of harming relationships, you're building relationships? So the great question at hand is who or what are you worshiping? You can place an innumerable amount of people or things ahead of Jesus, but you will never experience lasting happiness in doing so. So here's two quotes from the Apostle Paul ending his letters to the Corinthians. He says, So be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all you do be in love. Women, that doesn't mean that you need to go dress up like men. That's not what this is saying. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like an adult. Be strong. Act like you're grown up. Be strong and let all you do be in love. Watch out for the things that are going to pull you away. When your circumstances get rough, understand that, that, that that's a trial and it's a test and you can prove your faith and follow Jesus Christ or, or you can do something else. I, I wouldn't recommend the something else. Follow after Christ. Be strong and let all you do be in love. He says, and finally, brethren, rejoice and be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Chase an idol and you will not know any of what Paul is speaking of here. Follow Jesus Christ. Pursue godliness in Jesus Christ and you will enjoy it all. Those are God's promises to us. So when the rubber meets the road and the circumstances aren't what you want them to be, do you respond from a place of getting what you have to have because you worship some sort of temporal happiness? Or do you respond from your worship of God? Do you respond from your worship of Him and go, the circumstances may not be what they want me to be, but my contentment is in Him. And because my contentment is in Him, I can go through whatever it is that God has before me this day, prove my faith in Him, and love and serve others in the process. Let me pray, and then we have uh, something to, to share with you this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the goodness of your word, Lord Jesus Christ, for the love that you have for us. Uh, we thank you that, uh, that, that you allow us to pursue you, that you've opened the doorway, that you've, that you've closed the gap between us so that we can pursue you. And that, that starts with recognizing that you have authority that we don't have. Your power is beyond what we can understand, and your kingdom is eternal, not temporal. We surrender the idea that we're independent and we, we thank you for the mighty God that you are and we gratefully take our place in your kingdom, in your family. And then we seek this greater reward, this eternal reward. We recognize that the most rewarding thing here and now uh, following you will be the most rewarding thing in eternity. And then we find ourselves willing to use what you've given us uh, to bless others as you have taken yourself and blessed us. We long to be like you and we thank you for accommodating that longing through the power, uh, presence and activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives to strengthen a lifestyle that looks like you. We recognize that, that self-centered ungodly behavior apart from you, it causes us to harm others and, and, and ultimately we don't enjoy your presence. We thank you that salvation isn't based on how I perform but what you have done, Lord Jesus Christ. And may we take great joy in that and pursue you regardless of our circumstances. 
every moment of every day, from the moment we wake to the moment that we sleep. May we trust our days to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now Mr. Winans is going to come up. And, uh, well, he's got something fun to share. So here, let's pass that off. Good morning, everybody. Just uh, a blessing to be here this morning with you. Um, we want to honor a special couple this morning. I think you all know who they are. Uh, Joel and Mary Lee Berger have just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary on Thursday. Uh, if we would ask you to come forward at this time, just briefly, uh, we don't have a lot of time. Our next service starts in a half an hour. Uh, so... But we wanted to uh, at least recognize the fact that uh, Mary Lee has put up with Joel Berger for 50 years. <laughs> that was not in my notes, but I threw it in there. Um, so 50 years is a long time. And uh, one thing I would like to say before, I'm going to ask Mary Lee a question here in a minute. But um, you folks have been an example for all of us all these years. I think Joel and Mary Lee have been here for 43 years, and I've only been here for 30. But uh, when I arrived, uh, you folks were already mature. So at any rate, um, old. Old. <laughs> old like me. Um, behind every good man is a good woman. And uh, Mary Lee has certainly uh, been there for Joel. And they've set Pursue godliness was what Kurt was talking about. They have certainly set that example for all of us. And we're very thankful for that example. I would like to ask Mary Lee, what has made your 50-year marriage successful? Hmm. I bet you know the answer to this. Because <laughs> I've seen you practice it. And um, um, I think from the very beginning, as Joel and I even have reviewed in the last few days, uh, how we started together and uh, we shared really openly that uh, Jesus was number one in our lives and uh, he has been and uh, it's something that we have chosen to practice and um, he gets all the glory for that. <laughs> well, praise the Lord for that. I was going to, I wouldn't ask Joel because he's, He's teaching next week, so you can, you can answer that question next week. But, uh, no, go ahead. Um, I just, uh, by the way, Mary Lee and I love being up in front of the crowd here like this. <clears throat> I had to pull her up here, and uh, she had to pull me. But uh, I, I was thinking about this. It was interesting, Jim. We... we uh, went to the Minden Park. We had a, a Dairy Queen blizzard and went to the uh, Minden Park and we sat down on a blanket and we were going to review kind of the highlights of each decade that we have shared. We got through the first four years and then we thought this is going to take way longer than we thought. So we stopped there. But uh, it's, uh, I would say two things. Number one, Jesus is, is Lord of each of our lives. Um, she, uh, the first date we ever had, and it was a blind date for her. I had seen her. I knew what I was getting. And, uh, but uh, um, within five minutes, she was sharing her faith in Jesus Christ with me. And uh, that is, he has really been the foundation of our, of our marriage. Our eyes have been focused on him. And as a result, our marriage has been blessed. 
The second thing, for me at least, was to realize, and this took a long time, Jim, but to realize biblically that when you marry somebody, you become one. You become a new life. It's a life that never existed before. And it is so important to realize that what I do and the decisions I make and, and uh, the thinking that I have and the actions that I pursue, uh, um, they impact her. They do. I can't make those decisions on my own. They impact this one that I'm one with. And uh, that is just, that has truly changed my thinking regarding marriage and really what marriage is all about. It's a, it's a unique relationship that can only be compared with Jesus and his body. Jesus and the church. It's, it's so cool. I love it. Uh, my next point, I no. <laughs> uh, we're going to dismiss here in a second, and I'll have a prayer, but in the back, Lisa Potts and her crew has put together a nice cake for everybody to partake of. It's a celebration for Joel and Mary Lee. I know you all love them. Uh, you'll have opportunities to thank them for their service to all of us and to the Lord. They've been a great example for all of us. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just are so thankful for the example that we have all enjoyed over the years. Uh, the pursuit of godliness is evident in their lives. We've seen it firsthand. Uh, we know that we all have ups and downs, challenges, and yet uh, Christ has always been preeminent in their, in their lives, and we are so thankful for that. It's not often you have a pastor and his good wife who are in a church for 43 years, but we've experienced that, and we're thankful for that as well. So bless the congregation. Bless our uh, Joel and Mary Lee. May they in, uh, enjoy more years together, and we're all looking forward to uh, that together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed. <laughs> enjoy some cake. In the